Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the What the Niche podcast, and I am your host, Andrew Morris. In this week's episode, I thought it would be important to have a conversation with someone from the LGBTQ community, not just in recognition of Pride Month, but to provide an opportunity for someone I love dearly to share their beautiful story and struggles as a gay man. Personally, I grew up in a home which was inclusive and open to all types of people. My mother had many gay friends throughout the years, and one of her best friends was someone who we considered family. I never called him anything but Uncle Mike. Over the years, he showed me what real friendship and decency looked like. I never once worried myself about who he chose to share a bed with. He was the living embodiment of what it meant to be an accepting and loving person. During much of my youth, I was a member of a Louisville Baptist Church, and I always found it hard to believe that people could have such disdain, or that some of them can say such vitriolic things about people in the gay community, because in my experience, they were wonderful people. The Bible's again it, God's again it, I'm again it. In a recent sermon, the Baptist pastor, Charles Worley, suggested gays and lesbians should be imprisoned behind an electric fence. In a few years, they'll die out. Do you know why they can't reproduce? So your little son starts to act a little girlish. Another pastor, also in North Carolina, recently apologized after he told parents to slap children they suspect of being gay. The second you see your son dropping the limp wrist, you rock over there and crack that wrist. They shun the love of God. Reverend Billy Ball supports his colleague's view that homosexuality is a sin. Sodomy has always been an abomination, both Old and New Testament, has always been, in God's view, punishable by death. In this video, we hear from several Christians who share their opinions about how the Christian faith demonstrates through biblical scripture how abhorrent and sinful the homosexual lifestyle is in God's eyes. There are six pieces of scripture which are often referenced when addressing homosexuality. I won't share all of them, but I will share a few. In Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, it says, Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. And in Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, it says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, no idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But despite those pieces of scripture and their interpretation from many in the Christian community as being thoroughly damning, there are many who find peace through a Christian faith, even though they are also a part of the homosexual community. Change is coming even to the Bible Belt where I live, even to conservative Christian communities and families that many of you may still be a part of. Now that change is not uncontested. Last year, when my book, Making the Biblical Case for Same-Sex Relationships, came out, the leaders of the Southern Baptist Convention released a whole book that day denouncing it. But 
at the same time, while there are some people who can't be reached right now, there are many more Christians who 10 years ago never would have been having this conversation, who are genuinely wrestling with their love for LGBT people. In fact, there is a large evangelical church here in San Francisco, City Church, that became affirming of the LGBT community earlier this year. And they've said that they don't think that being gay is a sin. And they don't think that same-sex relationships are sinful. In this clip, Matthew Vines addressed a crowd of thousands during the San Francisco Pride Festival. He shares his unique life experience as someone who is gay and still chooses to follow his Christian faith. Much like Mr. Vines, I find myself filled with a tentative hope. Part of me feels as though there is a growing wave of tolerance in the world, while the other part is washed over with much of the glaring hatred and pervasive intolerance that continues the world over. And let me be clear, my conversation here is not meant to act as an argumentative act of persuasion, but rather it's meant to offer people of all creeds, races, and deferring niches to actively listen to many who may not often feel as though they are always heard. And in this week's podcast, I sat down for a chat with one of my dearest friends, David Hoover. He is an intellectual, philosopher, and simply an amazingly wonderful human. He also happens to be a gay man who still adheres to his faith as a member of the Pentecostal church. I've always been curious as to how David is able to reconcile the notion that his own faith wishes to cast him aside or presumes he is an abomination in the eyes of the Lord. And David has always met my curiousness with kindness and thoughtful conversation. I've often been schooled on the varying pieces of theology and philosophy that make up the broad scope of faith in these discussions with David. He's a scholar of all things related to a pursuit of understanding the big questions. Why are we all here? Who's responsible? And what happens when we move on from this finite existence? And I hope listeners enjoy my facilitation of David's recollection of his beautiful and arduous spiritual journey. And furthermore, I hope that you can come to realize he is so much more than a label given to him because of his sexual orientation. So my name's David. Um, 40-ish something. That's as specific as we'll go. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I'm a Hoosier by birth, and I've lived over on this side of the river for about half of my life. The other half is in Kentucky, so I consider myself to have dual citizenship. There are times we claim one, and there are times we claim the other, and then there are times we don't claim either one. (laughs) Yeah, it just depends on what's going on at the moment. We like Andy. Andy's a good thing. He's better than ours right now. I am an IT geek, so I have spent most of my professional career in some form of IT or IT-adjacent work. I like to live in that space of translating between the people that actually manage the ones and the zeros and the people that actually use the end product, because those people don't tend to talk to each other very well. So somebody has to be able to help them understand each other, and that's kind of where I live with my career space. Um, see, big fan of all things language and linguistics, sci-fi, my garden. I'm a huge, 
huge garden fiend now that we have gotten into the house. I'm waiting for it to get warm enough that I can actually go play in that and start planting things and watching them grow. So that kind of gives you a background for where I'm coming from. That's beautiful. Uh, you literally just demonstrated the very thing that I meant to uh, get out of this podcast. You are into so many other things. You are not just X. Right. Um, so, then, yeah, that's perfect. Um, you started on a nice little diatribe before we actually hit record. <laughs> and uh, David is new to this whole realm of podcasting. So I had to be like, yeah, that was great. Really poignant. and re- Yeah, just great. But uh, do it again. Do it again. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, uh, so what I had asked you, and I, I, I hated for it to sound uh, like a stereotypical question, but it, it often leads to so many uh, insightful things. And that is, what was it like for you coming out? Mm. And my regender at that point was that that there's not just one time that you come out. There's not a single coming out story that any particular LGBT person has. There are a whole series of them, because once you get to the point of deciding to come out, it's a process that follows you the rest of your life. Um, There's always multiple groups of people that you know, there's multiple circles that you travel in, and you're always finding yourself in new circumstances and with new people, whether you get a new job, or you start hanging out in a new social circle, or you take up a new hobby. There are always people that have to be clued in somehow and some of them are more dramatic than others but you're always at to some degree or another coming out for the duration of your life because there's this fundamental default assumption that has been baked into our society that people are straight unless proven otherwise so when people meet you for the first time there's a certain that 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 assumption just sort of comes along for the ride and you get to decide to what degree you want to break that shake the waters move yeah ripple the waters shake the boat you've got to figure out how to navigate that every time you encounter new people so a lot of people talk about their coming out story in terms of like how they did um, how they let their parents know or their family or their friend circle or how they came out at school or at work or the 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 big ones that you do for the first time but it's never a one and done thing you, you can't just come out and ta-da that's the last time you ever have to do it it's 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 ever and always unless you're Ellen and then <laughs> I mean, she had quite the platform. So if you missed it, you you, you were you know an Amazonian or something. <laughs> there is somebody in a store somewhere that she goes into every week that doesn't know. <laughs> I was, of course, being facetious. <laughs> <laughs> I, but you, you you make a valid point. There there are some that cover more ground than others, but it's never the end of it, as it were. Yeah. Well, luckily, well, I don't want to say luckily. That, that comes off as judgmental. Um, you're not overly flamboyant, <laughs> I wouldn't say. So it's not probably, you're not one of those that uh, I think that people begin uh, maybe straight gambling, as if we would call it. Uh, what's the over on him being straight? Uh, <laughs> um, which we've met those people. You're like, there's no way that guy. Um, That's and it's not just always people. as indicative as you think. Oh, I, yeah. It, like, it's, uh, never a, it's never a perfect science. James Corbin. Hmm? I, I, I hate to say it. I love James. Carpool <laughs> karaoke. Love it, guy. It's, it's great. 
But uh, when I first found out he was straight, I really was like, oh, okay, all right. Or Eric Stone Street on Modern Family, the straight one in the couple, who is the more flamboyant on the show. You just automatically assumed his default setting was Liberace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and the, you know, so we do make presumptions, and that's just what we do as people by default, seemingly. <laughs> Some of the most, two of the most flamboyant men I know were supervisors that I worked with at UPS who both have wives. So there, there's something to be said for not making certain assumptions. But yeah, some of us have an easier time of passing than others. That's the phrase that we use for that. Um, yeah. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is a point of some debate in the community. Do we want to blend in? Do we want to be radically different? There, there's a tension in... A, many parts of the community in terms of what's what does it mean to be an, a good gay as it were is it better to sort of live inside of the expectations of society or is it better to sort of flip both middle fingers up in the air and just go do whatever you want and you're going to find people that sit on both sides of that particular fence and some of us that have crossed from one side to the other over time so one of the things that i have learned in the, this is one of the challenges that we face as a community is we're not a you, you may be born gay but you're not raised gay for the most part you, you have to come into that community after the fact which means that there's a certain degree of history that isn't taught like any other kind of family or social history would be. You have to go looking for it. So knowing sort of what's come before us and what people have done to get us to where we are is not something that you can just sort of absorb by osmosis like you would for any other aspect of growing up. So I know a significant amount of my family history and religious history and U.S. history and all these sorts of things that I just sort of picked up over time being in those communities growing up. With with being LGBT, you have to work a little bit harder to understand some of the background. And one of the things that is important, in my opinion, to know that a lot of people don't or brush off is the degree to which we are indebted to the more flamboyant individuals. When we look at Stonewall and places where people have really pushed for LGBT inclusion and rights and the ability to be ourselves... Nine times out of ten, it's those folks that weren't able to pass, that sort of got pushed out on the stage and couldn't hide behind this sort of structure of normal, that had to fight for their ability to just exist as they were because they couldn't be other than what they were. So I have the benefit of not having been put in that particular position, but I very much rely on the battles that people that are in that position have already fought on my behalf. And there's a there's definitely a debt that's owed there. Yeah, I'd seen someone in an interview was talking about that uh, that very thing, um, wherein they said that why is it that some people decide to go and act in such an over the top way? Uh, and it's like, well, if you look at cities like San Francisco and New York City uh, that are pretty progressive, uh, and you know, kind of these bustling places with people from all walks of life. And they moved from a rural town in, in Alabama to San Francisco and New York. And then all of a sudden they're like, hi. 
And it's like, well, <laughs> maybe they are that way because they never could be. Mm-hmm. So when they get to that, it's like this. It's this coming out party, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah. And and I I really I really felt that because the guy had pointed that out, and he's like, you know, I never felt like myself until I left that little rural town. And you're not shitting on any of those people, you know, but they certainly aren't as welcoming to individuals in the the gay community at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hope is that we you know do all make that 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 journey and hopefully come to a place where we are a little bit more welcoming everywhere. So and it's a, a conversation that we have every Pride Festival every year. I hear it come around because there's always somebody that points at the people that are wearing the gold lame spandex and the green eyeshadow wandering down the street waving a flag and being like, why do they have to be like that? Why do you have the guys in no shirts and harnesses that are humping each other on the back of a float? It, how does that represent us as a community? There's always somebody that sort of intentionally or not kind of sneers at those gays and what they're doing for our reputation in the world at large. And there very much needs to be pointed out that for a lot of those people, especially the ones that aren't local, the ones that come in for the regional pride, that may be the one day out of the entire year where they get to do that. We get to go back to our office jobs, here in Louisville at least, where a significant we, – we have our fairness ordinance at the city level – And several of our largest employers are on the HRC list in terms of how they handle our particular population. But if somebody goes back to, I don't know, say Paducah or Pikeville or some little podunk town out in the middle of nowhere whose county I don't even know, what does their day-to-day look like? How do they have to behave? What sort of constraints do they have to put on themselves? Don't they deserve a day to just sort of cut loose and... And let their freak flag fly for just a day, because the other 364, they can't. Yeah, I mean, and we're giving Brenda and Tammy a chance to do that at Mardi Gras or in Panama on spring break. Exactly. So it's like, why do you care? Like, do we say that the cheerleaders that are wearing scantily clad clothing on the sidelines for a football team, is that a representation of every straight female? Or do they not also have the right to do that if that's what they want to do? Right. And nobody, I'm not shaming that at all. Do whatever the fuck you want to do. And it's, it's so odd that people, it's so strange that people within the community itself will throw shade at other individuals in the community. You're just like, we're, aren't you kind of missing the point of the parade in general? <laughs> and it's kind of like to not judge and like be what you want to be. And it's, it's so interesting. God, people are, we're such an odd species. Well, some of it is, it's not always even conscious that, that they're doing this. The the phrase internalized homophobia gets thrown around for that sort of thing. It's all of those lessons you've picked up from a society that isn't particularly fond of us as a people. And how many of those have you sort of hammered home inside of your own head to make the world a slightly safer place? If I show myself to be on the side of the folks that are policing that sort of thing, if I stay within the lines and I'm a good gay, is my life easier because of it? And if so, if that's how I've done, especially for older generations and more conservative members among us, 
it's easy to point fingers at people who don't make those same choices because you see what sort of consequences it could potentially have in your own life. There, There's a lot to be said for being understanding of where people are coming from. I don't think that it's an appropriate or, or the best reaction to the flamboyance of a gay, a pride event as such. But I do understand some of what it's based in, and I think education is the best solution for that rather than shaming somebody out of it. That's, yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, it's, understand, you, you have to, it's all comes from a place of empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, so if, you know, like you said, we don't know what their home life is like every day. Uh, you know, as much like it'd be like judging me for having been, well, not completely similar, uh, <laughs> but being in a metal band and you, you judge the entirety of my character by that show I'm putting on once mm-hmm. a month. Oh, yep. oh, he he kills babies. That's what he said. <laughs> like, you know, it's a show, man. Like mm-hmm. you're you're up there dancing. You're having a good time, you know, and. And probably alcohol induced as well. I mean, yeah, it is a break. A that, it's, yeah. yeah, it's meant to be fun, mm-hmm. and some people just need to get the stick out of their ass. I guess <laughs> in all communities, I'm I'm glad to see it's not just straight people. It's good. It's good. We are as varied and different as you are. There are just fewer of us. Yeah, that that makes sense, and and it's interesting to see. The correlations um, for individuals in the African American community, uh, as well as there's, they can be very judgmental. Because I just had this conversation with my buddy Justin. Uh, I don't know how these episodes will come out in order, so it'll either be after this one or before it. Um, but he had talked about how he had moved out of his neighborhood, and individuals cast him out as being better and things of that nature. So there's judgment that exists within every microcosm of people that you can mm-hmm. see in just different forms. Yep. It's unique. Intersectionality, we call that. It's the, mm. the metaphor being that you stand at the intersection of a number of different streets, and each of those streets is sort of that sub-community that you're part of, and people that are in more than one. So, for example, somebody who is both gay and African-American is going to have to put up with more traffic coming at them than somebody who's only – that isn't necessarily. And, for example, we talk about – trans women of color as being sort of one of the worst picked on in that particular regard because they stand at the center of a whole cluster of streets of shit that just comes at them on an everyday basis and that that concept of varying degrees of privilege and what we have to put up with and what other people are dealing with in their own lives and understanding that it's not really about a contest but it's about trying to understand where the other person is standing and what they have to deal with yeah, that's and I think that uh, shows like Pose uh, are just so incredibly important because there was so much of of that society and that and that community and group of people that I was so completely unfamiliar with and hadn't thought about the many different plights that they have uh, that I can't possibly imagine. Uh, like we go back to the uh, the idea and the notion of passing, what it means <laughs> to pass, uh, and in their community it's even more so. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you pass as a female, uh, mm-hmm. and or or male, whichever which end of the spectrum that you're going to decide, uh, or you know, in your heart of hearts, feel that you need to go, uh, rather than saying decide. I, I I hate to put it into that that bottle there, um, 
but yeah, it was really things like that are interesting, and that's a unique thought because, um, again, it becomes back to perspective, and those are things that I can't have any frame of reference for. So, empathy. It, it, I think it, it, it's all what it comes back to, man. Um, so, one of the questions I've been asking people is, and I know, again, uh, we had this discussion before the podcast started. Um, David is I like not to get ahead main, of things. Yeah, he is not the mayor for Gayville. Uh, I, I'm not the Lorax that. of the uh, of the acronym <laughs> community. No, I do not and, speak uh, for the gays. I was really disappointed. I was misled. Uh, no, <laughs> um, but um, what are some of the misconceptions that you think uh, you're often presented with? I know that we've touched base on this a little bit, but has there ever been anything that people have made assumptions about you uh, and that you you surprise them and kind of flip it on its head? Hmm. There's all sorts of assumptions that people make. That's that's just part and parcel of being human. Um, I do conform to a number of the assumptions. I am. I do like a good show tune. Um, not opposed to dancing. Uh, I don't know that I necessarily have the decorator gene as it is per se. Dallas does better at that than I do, but I do have a certain aesthetic that I play with. Um, it would probably be, and I haven't personally related to this necessarily simply because of where I come from, but a lot of people aren't as familiar with the fact that there are very strong communities of faith in our community, that for a lot of people, especially those in communities of faith outside of the acronym community, they see it as very much us versus them. We are antimatter, as it were, to Christianity or faith as a whole. And that's not necessarily the case. There are very strong communities of faith on both sides of that particular wall. They just don't talk to each other terribly well. There, there is a a religious left, a religious gay, the same way as there is on the straight side of the wall. There, there are people that have that as part of who they are that people outside of our community may not be aware of. I'm glad. I'm glad that you brought it to that because that was going to be one of the directions that I tried to steer uh, this conversation to. Just because I find um, your adherence to faith interesting, um, because uh, and we've had these conversations uh, on several occasions where uh, I'm an atheist, and you know a lot of the reasons that you know I did sort of separate myself from religion and faith in general was the judgment. A lot of the judgment that is pushed through uh, under the guise of religion and Mm -hmm. not always necessarily there, uh, you know, it's just a human interpretation. And you've kind of walked me through that. You're like, well, don't hold it against that, you know, because it's a human mechanism. It is. That's why I I love you, because you're the voice (laughs) of reason. Um, Sometimes. (laughs) um, But... Again, for for the people listening, how do you reconcile your faith uh, when so much of it um, can be geared and directed towards you, especially Christianity, uh, Mm -hmm. not just exclusive to Christianity, as we do know. Um, But since you do adhere to some form of Christianity, how are you able to kind of toe that line and say, hey, well, there are some things here. And, you know, the Old Testament, you know, Leviticus especially, which is 
an interesting book to say the least. Um, so how, how do you work that out for yourself? There are some contradictions in faith that can't be resolved, that aren't ever going to be. There, there's a certain degree of acceptance of mystery that comes with having a faith. Um, not everybody's going to agree with me on that topic. I'm a bit of an outlier when it comes to faith. I was raised in a very, very conservative corner of Christianity, and an outlier form of Pentecostalism. And we, 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 to, to some degree, I, I still pertain to that particular corner of the world when I practice, but I've had to re-examine a lot of sort of what was fed to me growing up in that particular kind of environment. If you've never had to completely re-examine your faith sort of top to bottom, take it apart and put it back together again, it's... You, you, I, I can promise you that you don't hold it as tightly and as in as cherished a manner as somebody who has. There, there came a point where I did run into a wall where my faith as it had been given to me and the world as it existed could not live together, that they were not reconcilable. And it sort of forces you to acknowledge that not everything that you've been handed as part of your faith has to come as this sort of monolithic box that you take all of or none of. I've spent a significant chunk of my adult life going through everything that was in that particular box and being like this this has value this i can keep this this does not and toss it away and you have to go through everything like that and there are a number of people it's not just lgbt folks that have gone through that particular kind of process lots of people have crises of faith where they have to reconcile the world as they know it to the world as it ought to be that they've been taught and there's something to be said for coming out on the other end of that with a piece of that intact. You, you sort of refine the bits of it that matter to you, that that still work, and you get rid of a lot of the dross, the stuff that doesn't make any sense, that people say matters but really doesn't. I, I don't know if I'm actually answering your question or not. You're, you're so beautifully dancing around it that I'm not even mad. Um <laughs> And it, and it, and it's fair. I don't know that there there is a clear answer. Uh, Are you talking about faith, specifically the gay thing with religion, or as yeah, opposed to? Okay. Yeah, not necessarily like your inner struggle as a human being, because I mean, I I, I can relate to that. Some of what you said in there, um, you know, relates to how I became to uh, a, what I would consider a full-on atheist, uh, which you know the triggering point for that for for me, was uh, the earth-shattering event of me losing my dad. Mm. Um, you know, I know you were my friend then, and you kind of, you know, you got to be the unfortunate bystander of all that, as did all my friends. You know, watching somebody, I talked a little bit about this earlier, um, you know, my father was a great dad, and always around, and as a kid, he was somebody as I deemed Superman. Mm-hmm. You know, he was the strongest person I knew. He was the tallest person I knew, you know, for a time. You know, when you, you're there with your dad every day, he was the smartest person I knew. Uh, that still remains true. He really was. And 
he was he was everything. And, you know, he was everything I needed him to be. And to watch my dad sit there in a hospital bed and deteriorate into something that didn't resemble anything for what I knew him, and trying to reconcile that with a sense of fairness, which I, I understand that sometimes that's not what faith is about. It's not about what's fair, and I, that's kind of where I, I, I disassociate myself from the logic of it all, because I don't find any logic in that. I didn't find any logic in watching him sit there and 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 go before my eyes, and you know. And he was only fifty-two, and it just didn't seem fair. And I started really diving deep, you know. I, I read some books by Christopher Hitchens and uh, Richard Dawkins, The God Delusion. Mm-hmm. Was something that really was, uh, and I, I believe you. I've have read that on one. Your shelf. Yeah, yep. I thought I, I thought I seen seen it on your shelf, and that's another thing that makes you very, very interesting is the you know the the library that this man keeps of all the face from all over and linguistics as well. He has language books from everything, but for me, yeah, I, I can certainly relate to that. But I I'm curious specifically in that one area because there is so much vitriol and so mm-hmm. much hatred that comes directed to individuals in your community. Um, and I'm sorry, you keep using a term that's not the gay community. What is the term you're using? Uh, which one? Like the acronym community? Yes. Oh, so you just say acronym community covers. So the, it, it's sort of a shorthand for LGBTQIA plus that, that there's an, acronym that continues to acquire new pieces every so often and it's a bit cumbersome to drag out into conversation every so often so okay. you the kept acronym saying it and, I, and i'm not the type of person to just be like yeah yeah wait yeah i understand <laughs> so i had to ask before we continued because you had said it three times and i'm like absolutely so you um the the version I'm most familiar with is um, lesbian, gay, bi, trans, queer, questioning, intersex, asex, and then there's usually a plus at the end of it to identify those additional minority communities that don't specifically have their own letter. Um, Furries? Th- those would be part of that. They, they <laughs> could definitely be part of that. Um, kink communities, um, th- there's, there's lots of minority communities. And one of the ways that you hear sort of the umbrella referred to in like psychological literature can be like sexual minority populations because nailing down each individual pocket of who we are becomes sort of an exercise in frustration because each one gets a little bit smaller and a little bit more niche but they're every bit as valid as some of the larger categories and it gives us sort of an umbrella way of dealing with all of us that have a tendency to get shoved to the margins because of our sexuality. Yeah, that's that's something that's always confounded me a little bit is to, I, I feel as though like with all these subsections and everything, and it, I'm completely fine um, with anybody doing what whatever they want, um, but it, it seems like it, I feel like it maybe does more harm than good. But I, I don't know. I'm, I'm maybe speaking out of place here because obviously I'm not a member in that, that community and I'm a straight, white, cisgendered male, uh, however you want to refer to me. And I don't know. I, I would just be more comfortable calling you Paul or <laughs> J- Janita 
whatever your name is or like you as a person, I just want to recognize you. I want to see the person. Like, I don't give a fuck like who you like to fuck or who you, what you like to do. Do you like to wear a tail on the weekend? I don't care. Um, so that's just where it is for me. But if that's fine, like if I, if I'm out of line and somebody wants to talk to me about this, I'm completely open. And if you want to come on the podcast, like I, I would, I don't have, uh, really any transgender people in my um, group, but I would love to talk to somebody if somebody hears this and would love to come on and you know enlighten me um, about this stuff because it, it does perplex me. I, I am a little bit of a loss. Um, I don't know. I know that you're, again, not the mayor for all of this stuff, but I don't know what your thoughts are. And you're not going to find one for any particular given subset of that acronym community either you're going to find people that have their own experiences some of which are more universal universally applicable than others some some of our experiences can be generalized across larger populations and some are just us and that's going to be any person that you sit down and talk with with the the individual boxes it very much becomes a matter of what what is empowering for the particular individual in question for some people being able to put a name or a label on something that they've always felt that they are and has and they may have been told it doesn't exist that that's not a real thing that's empowering to be able to say i am and fill in that particular blank matters to some people and there are other people for whom that's incredibly limiting they don't want the box that they find it to be stifling for somebody to say you are and then put that exact same label behind it so the the exact same tool, as it were, can function as a tool for liberation for some folks and oppression for others. It's just a matter of how you personally want to wear that particular cloak. And if it's not something that you're part of, you really have to follow the cues of the people that are in it and what they want done for themselves. That's one of the reasons that there's a lot of emphasis on like asking for pronouns. It's not such it's not necessarily a matter of we have to be uber careful about how we may particularly identify a particular individual. It's that empathy you were talking about before of what matters to you in this context. If I'm going to be interacting with you as a person, how do I make sure that you are comfortable in the setting with me as well? Mm. Yeah, which my my uh my concern comes from the front end. Like I, I'm fine once I've been giving given the information because uh, a lot of the individuals, especially if it's someone who quote unquote passes, mm-hmm. uh, and she or he is a member of the transgender community, I don't know that up front, and I refer to them as she, and they're like, "Well, actually, I'm he." That that's the thing that that does concern me is I, I don't want to offend anybody. Um, that that very first time when, when you encounter that, a stop, an apologize, and an adjustment, and you, ninety nine percent of the time you will not have further difficulties. Where things really start to create friction are those folks who once politely corrected continue to insist on getting it wrong. Either for for a number of reasons, some some of which are malicious, some of which are that doesn't matter enough to me to make the effort to do. Um, 
that there are a lot of reasons why people may not necessarily make that particular leap, but simply acknowledging that information once you get it and incorporating it into your future interactions goes a long way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes me feel better about how to handle that because, you know, I really do try to be, um, the best version of myself that I can be, you know, and I, I promise I always come from a place of love. I might say the most ridiculous shit you'll ever hear, (laughs) but it's all from a good place. Like, because I, 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 it just grew up in a situation to where we got through things with laughter. So my default setting is whatever it takes to make you laugh. You know, <laughs> I, I know I, t- I know I talked about my dad dying, but that night that he actually passed, uh, you know, my entire family is sitting there in my house because uh, I was the oldest, and at that point I was kind of the the rock. You know, and as they're there, everybody's crying, and you know we've been crying for hours and. I broke through it with some humor. Mm-hmm. I made I made some really dark jokes, but my family being my family, they're like, oh <laughs> yeah, okay. So yeah, I don't ever I don't ever mean if you know, just on a side note, mm-hmm. <laughs> everything and I do comes from a good place of love. One of the things that you'll find is that the vast majority of us aren't walking time bombs of offense waiting to go off whenever somebody sneezes the wrong way. We really aren't, but. That being said, going back to that intersectionality piece that we talked about before, a lot of us have put up with a lot of shit, and we're willing to put up with less and less as time goes on. So a lot of it, in you have to understand that you're not just interacting with that person where they are now, you're also interacting with that person's backstory. And if that person has been given a lot of grief about some of these topics, they're going to be more sensitive about it and that may be a wound for them. So it's not always about you in that particular circumstance, even if somebody blows up. And there are positives and positive and negative ways to handle that particular kind of interaction. Yeah. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, I mean, it all comes back to them being a person, Mm -hmm. you know, it's much like, you know, me as a teacher, you know, occasionally I will, lose it on a student and nine times out of ten it has nothing to do with them mm-hmm. it has everything to do with the three classes that i had before them that absolutely got on my nerves and then they are the the means the focus of that that uh, irritation or that anger or you know that frustration so yeah yeah you are hitting it for me you're just <laughs> making me you're just putting things in such a nice perspective um so let's circle back. I know, I know that we got side railed, but because I think it is really interesting for you to, to discuss how you make your faith work uh, mm. in a situation where it's, it's so often the case that they see you as an outlier and oftentimes as a uh, abomination, if it will. Mm-hmm. Uh, not heard my that words. Word. Yeah, not my words, guys. I'm not a West, West uh, World Baptist Church person, but so... How, how did you yeah, make it's not that just work? them that that throws that particular one out. No, the Catholics too. Yeah. <laughs> it runs the gamut. It really does. Yeah. So, this is one of the places where I probably cease to be as representative of my community as other folks might be. Um, in the same way that Pentecostals are a distinct minority of Christians as a whole, those of us in the acronym community are going to be in the even smaller. 
So my particular story is going to have a certain degree of limited ap- applicability. I'm perfectly willing to share that, but you may or may not get the same sort of universal application out of it that you might from some of the other stuff that we talk about, if you're okay with that. A hundred percent. This is the story, and these are the things that make you specifically you. It's not all about demonstrating that we're all the same, because there are certain things that definitely make us unique. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. So, as I mentioned before, I come from Pentecostals, a particular branch thereof. And if you're not familiar with them as a species, they they are one of the only pieces of Christianity that maintains a spiritualist or supernaturalist perspective on the universe. The idea that there is the reality that we can touch and feel and see and experience with our senses, and then there is a portion of reality that exists that is every bit as real but that we cannot experience with those senses directly. There is a sort of a side-by-side realm of spirituality that interacts with but is independent of the world you can touch. There are, there are a lot of faith traditions that have something along those lines, but there's very little of that that survives in Christianity. Christianity, by and large, has become a much less supernaturalist faith than it started out as. It's lost a lot of that, and Pentecostals are a bit of a throwback to that. And they take that very, very seriously. They they put a lot of stock into the fact that this spiritual world is important, that what happens on that, in that space has repercussions in ours, and what happens in ours has repercussion in that space. So, they believe very strongly that there are ways to affect change in our own world that start there, and vice versa. Not Most Christians believe that, historically speaking, there have been supernatural or spiritual goings-on, especially if you go back to the actual text of the Bible, but very few of them will actually admit to any sort of belief that such a thing still happens. Pentecostals very much believe that these things are ongoing. I also come from people that very much believe that they know how these things are supposed to work together. They have a certain degree of expertise in dealing with the spirit world, as it were. They know how the world works. They know how to make things move. Um, You'll find in those circles talk about moving mountains or actually shaking heaven or making making the impossible actually manifest on earth. Miracles are a thing that they believe in happening on a regular and ongoing basis. In the context of this, you sort of steep the whole of Christianity's traditional teachings in that kind of thing. And there is a sense that not only is there a world as it's, as it's supposed to be? There, there's a list of what the Bible says the world is supposed to do. But there's also a sense that if somehow the world finds itself out of kilter, out of alignment, you have the power and authority to make it the way that it's supposed to. You have a certain degree of authority and power in interacting with the world to make it conform to what it's supposed to. 
And that's something that you definitely don't find nearly as much in other strains of Christianity. You have prayer in almost every form of Christianity, but not to the same degree of if I say it, it can happen that you find in this particular circle. In addition to that, there is in that world a particular doctrine that gets taught never explicitly in quite the terms that I'm going to describe it to you, but you'll hear it out of almost every pulpit with some sort of Pentecostal or charismatic bent. And I personally call it the cosmic bending machine. It's the idea that God is this gigantic treasure house of all of the wonderful and good things in the universe. Everything you could ever possibly need or want sits behind that particular glass. And next to each and every one of those things is a price tag. It's not denominated in dollars, per se. It's denominated in, it might be some form of personal sacrifice, it might be prayer, it might be fasting, it might be faith. It's some sort of spiritual cost that has to be paid. And once that happens, then whatever that thing is just sort of drops to the bottom, falls out, and it's yours. This sort of transactional interface with God that if I put in what I'm supposed to, I will get out of it what I'm owed, underlies a significant chunk of conservative, specifically Pentecostal religion. You'll find things like the wealth gospel that falls into that particular category. If I pay my tithes and I give the appropriate things to God, then he is obligated to shower me with wealth and blessings. That's not even Pentecostalism. That's a significant chunk of Christianity in its own right. But there's lots of places where that particular doctrine has an application. So, when I begin to deal with the concept of the gay thing in, con- in the context of my faith, I knew how to fix it, because that's what I'd been taught. Straight was one of those things that set behind the glass, and I just had to figure out what the appropriate degree or combination of things were that I needed to feed into the machine and it would fall out the bottom and everything would be fixed and everything would be perfect. I spent the next two and a half years of my life metaphorically beating myself bloody against the glass of that vending machine trying to get straight to fall out the bottom. And it did not. And it sort of cracked my worldview at that particular point. Because that's how it was supposed to work. That's that's what God did. And he didn't. We Pentecostals believe very strongly that there is an experience, a, a, a connection, a relationship that it is possible to have directly with the divine. And I had had that. I still have that. It is as much a part of my experience as anything I can touch or taste or see or smell. It would be as, imp- as impossible to convince me that God doesn't exist 
as it would be to convince me that the house that I'm sitting in doesn't really exist. So I couldn't necessarily give that piece up. But yet the gay wasn't going away. So that leads into that whole working your way through the box thing that we were talking about. I was very, very angry with God for a very, very long time because I felt like I had been cheated. The things that I had been taught were supposed to work. The metaphysical laws of the universe, as it were, were broken. They weren't giving me what they were supposed to. This is what I had always been taught was the way things were done, and it was failing me. It is my personal belief, my personal experience, that I have never yet prayed for an answer that I haven't received. I have waited a long time for some of those answers. And far more common, I find that the answer was given to me and I simply didn't recognize it or didn't listen to it or didn't want to hear it at the time. God is patient and he has a bit of a sense of humor. And it can take, he's willing to wait as long as it takes for me to actually hear what it is that he's trying to tell me, especially if I want to. But sometimes I have to get the mat out of the way first. And this was one of those cases. What I've found when I got to the end of that two and a half year stretch, working my way into the end of that third year, is that there's a particular drumbeat refrain that had been coming to me from a number of different places over the course of that time. Sermons I had heard, books I had read, um, conversations I had had with people that may or may not have been involved in that particular challenge in my life at all, but this sort of constant signal from different places saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over again that I hadn't noticed was there until I got calm enough to actually listen for it. And the message was ridiculously simple. My grace is sufficient for you. Trust in me. And that made me mad. Because that's not an answer. That doesn't fix my problem. That doesn't resolve what we're dealing with here. And it took me another probably, Hi there! <laughs> For listeners, this is the life chicken in. She loves David too, so. I love you. <laughs> I love you too, darling. <laughs> it, it took me a while to come to terms with the fact that that was all the answer I was ever going to get on the topic. And I had a choice to make. I could either spend the entire rest of my life attempting to fix something that was as beyond my ability to control as my height or my eye color. Or I could decide this is just where I am and I can be the best me that I am until such time as he decides to make me different. And that latter choice, it's, it's really the only way you can live. The, the, the constantly being mad at the universe simply for existing as it is, is not a functional way to live life. 
it is my firm belief, and this sounds crazy to somebody who sits outside of those particular belief walls, that God is capable of anything. If he wanted to and were so inclined, he could turn the sun to cotton candy tomorrow. I see no indication whatsoever that he has any inclination to do so. I have the, I have reached the same conclusion about my sexuality. It is what it is. It is beyond my ability to change. I can accept it and move forward. Or I can die mad. <laughs> That's a lot to unpack. It is. That was... You should have been doing this stuff a long time ago. You're made for this. <laughs> I mean it. Your voice sounds so beautiful in my ear uh, ear cans over here. That was... You almost, at a midpoint there, I was midway to Google searching Pentecostalism and signing up. I was like, huh, <laughs> the way the way you frame it. Uh, and then you, the, the Douglas Adam, uh, Adam's portrayal of all that, it just felt so Hitchhiker's Guide, your description of all that. That was phenomenal. Uh, I don't really have anything to add. Uh, you so elegantly... Um, covered everything and and yeah the 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 only thing and it, this is you know I don't, I don't want to turn this into any sort of religious debate me and you have had enough of those uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh I, i'm glad that you found peace with it because that's all that matters uh at the end of the day I, i'll give people shit uh with my snarky comments and things of that nature but at the end of the day none of what i say or anyone else says matters mm. it's all about finding the inner peace for yourself. It is. And if that's how you've reconciled it for yourself, and and I know, I've known you for a while now, and I, I know that you've worked through that journey. You've changed um, quite significantly uh, in just the time that I've known you, in the mm -hmm. 10 or so years that I've known you. And uh, I've seen that in other individuals in the acronym community uh, who are people in our, our close friends group a certain somebody, I believe you know who I'm talking about, who has changed his faith mm -hmm. pretty profoundly. And um, I think life presents you what you need when you need it. It does. And, and I think that you, you covered that in there so profoundly because I, you could give me the label of atheist, but realistically, I'm a universalist, I guess. I, I, I don't know, for lack of a better term. Um, because I... I I'm not fully separated from the idea that there's some grand power working because there is a hundred percent. When you, when you go in nature, uh, you, you go to the grand Canyon and you walk out into that expanse for the first time, or for you guys, you watch the fog roll away from the Canyon as Aye. your experience. <laughs> but yeah. When it hits you and you get the grandiose, expanse that just opens up in front of you it's so awe-inspiring mm -hmm. that you you have to think to yourself this wasn't a fucking accident mm -hmm. but a beautiful piece of design and at this point i don't really give a shit if you if if the the mechanism that you want to feed in is god i don't care 
nature nature is God. If, if you want to say that, that's fine. I call it nature, you call it God. Who cares? The, but there is beauty in it. There is. And, and I, much like you, I try not to rack my brain on the things that I can't change. The fact that I'm going to die, I can't change that. The fact that I didn't remember the 13 billion years of existence before I got here. So am I worried about what happens when I leave? No. It didn't bother me then. I don't assume it's going to bother me when I leave. <laughs> I just try to be present. And Do the best we can with what we have while we can. Yeah, and and that's 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 all we can do. And I think that is just poetic way to end this. That was absolutely beautiful, man. Uh, you surpassed any expectation I would have had for you sharing your experience. I truly mean that. Uh, You've ran well over your time, I'm, I'm afraid. <laughs> I, well, I want these to be organic <laughs> conversations, and at this point, realizing that <laughs> to get thoughtful answers out of this, A, it takes 15 minutes for people to kind of warm up. Mm-hmm. Just to kind of get used to the the structure of this and, and kind of shake it out, and B, had I tried to to hit the constraints of what I'd set out initially, I'd have had to cut you off somewhere in, in the middle of your your beautiful um, <laughs> <laughs> recollection of your you know how you came to be with your faith and whatnot. So uh, by by its own nature, it's pushing me into understanding that I'm gonna have to change the. Uh, yeah, uh, the thoughts that I had for how I was going to frame this. So, which is fine. It's a beautiful thing to be pushed into. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate you sitting down to talk to me, David. Absolutely. Uh, you, you know I love you dearly. You're one of my favorite people. Likewise, uh, sir. And I hope that people, if somebody doesn't take something out of that, I will be really disappointed um, because I think that that was really moving and uh, honest. So, that's all I could ask for me. And, uh, I will definitely, um, I think I'm going to bump you to the front of the line on one of the first Uh-oh. few episodes. I mean that. That was phenomenal, man. Um, so uh, I hope the rest of this episode really uh, holds up. Uh, other guests, pressure's on. They don't know it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that was great, buddy. I appreciate it, and I will talk at you later, buddy. All right. Have a good night. You too, buddy. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the What the Niche podcast with me, your host, Andrew Morris. Now, before you go, let me please remind all of my listeners to continue to share the podcast on your varying social media platforms. I can't do this without you. Thank you so much. I'd also like to let everyone know that I now have some merch. Uh, I have buttons and stickers, and I'm looking to have t-shirts on a made-to-order basis. So if that's something you want, uh, just let me know. Uh, you can reach out to me on my personal account, which is Andrew Morris at Facebook, uh, and Andrew Morris on Instagram, or you can reach out to me at what the niche on Facebook or what the niche podcast on Instagram. Now I'd like to share an inspirational prayer that David shared with me to close out this episode. This is the peace prayer of St. Francis. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light.
where there is sadness, joy.